0: We came out of the longest series in the history of the church. We've gone into, I think, the shortest series in the history of the church. Right? The the, the story series started in March and ended at the end of August. Now we've been doing this little three-week mini-series on what it means to be a credible witness, and just digging around in this idea of what it means, what it looks like for us as a church to be a multicultural church. The next week, we're going to launch the six-week series called Holy Roar, which is going to uh, happen concurrently with our life group experience. If you want to learn more about this multicultural church series and the seven commitments, this is the book right here by... Demaz, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, D-E-Y-M-A-Z, Demaz, Mark Demaz, amazing, amazing book. So good. So I've been working out of that this week. I'm not going to be reading out of it tonight, but just want to keep giving a plug for that because that's been the source for a lot of the content. Let me, let me read you this statement. I, I, I started with this last week. I want, to, I want to give it again. I believe churches in America are in decline, even while the diversity of congregations are on the rise, because people who are coming to churches in search of a gospel message that promises reconciliation are finding churches preaching a cross that reconciles us to God, but is simultaneously failing miserably at being reconciled to one another. Let me read that last part again. People who are coming to churches in search of a gospel message that promises reconciliation are finding churches preaching a cross that reconciles us to God, what forgiveness is, but is simultaneously failing miserably about being reconciled to one another, what forgiveness does. Simply put, we lack a credible witness. We've been looking at this picture, which I feel like kind of articulates and communicates and demonstrates what multicultural church feels like. If you're not used to being in a multicultural church environment, this for you might feel like confusion and chaos. But we've adopted a a new word. Anybody remember what that word is? Who said that? Dynamic. Come on, I got an Amazon gift card for you. Who said dynamic? Penny. Come on, Miss Penny. Chuck's going to get it. Yeah, we, yes, yes, forgiveness does. There you go. So good. See, pay attention. Pay att- we, give, we give prizes. We give prizes. Th- this isn't confusion and chaos, it's dynamic. This is a picture of people growing and changing and listening to one another and learning from one another. The the solid blue line, let's go to the next slide, represents the things that we are aligned on. We have a common vision and mission and message and values. And If you're new to our church, just go back a couple of weeks, and I talk about those in greater detail. You can also get it on our website. Those were the solid blue lines. If you've got a vision, mission, message and values that you can align around, then all those other lines represent all the things where we're not aligned. We don't have to be aligned on everything to be unified. Harmony, biblical harmony, requires diversity. We're better together. We're better together. My intent tonight was to talk about the last four commitments from Demaze's book but as i was praying in here on friday morning i felt like i wanted to go in a different direction instead of zooming in i felt like i wanted to zoom out and so i spent much of friday making some of these changes i i i, I don't want us to lose sight of why this matters somebody say why it matters mm-hmm. Luke nineteen ten, Jesus makes what's called a declarative statement. He made two declarative de- declarative statements for why he came. One was to build a church, which we're going to get to. But his other declarative statement is found in Luke nineteen ten, where he said, "I came to seek and to save the lost." That one's on your own. You don't get a prize for that. That's, that's low. It's easy. That's come on one on one. He he came to seek and to save the lost. It's a declarative statement. Jesus said, I don't want there to be any confusion about why I'm here, to seek and to save the lost. I remember when I was a young father, Mondays has always been my day off in in my life in church work, and Vanessa was telecommuting back then when she worked for Capital One. We lived in the inner city of Richmond, and so Monday was was my, uh, my dad day. She would go into the office, and I would have... Derek, my, to myself, It was my, my, my responsibility, right? Not just him, but other things, right? If you're, right, if you're dad at home by yourself with your kids because your wife is normally the one, but she's not there, the standard is not just for your kids to be alive at the end of the day. Can we agree on that? There's cleaning that needs to be done. There's dishes that need to go in the dishwasher. There's laundry, right? Just all right, all right. It's a point based system. I'm just racking them up right now, racking them up. So, so, I would do things around the house that needed to be done, and then sometimes we would have a a break in the day, and we'd want to go do something. And so I would load Derek up in the in the car and get him in the car seat. I had the stroller and and uh, and so we would go and uh, sometimes to a mall or sometimes to a store. And when he got a little bit older and he was able to be mobile and walk, he wasn't in a stroller anymore. And so now you're, you're walking into this store with all these strangers, right? And, you, and, and there's this feeling of, I need to have my eyes on my child at all times because they they're like magicians. They can disappear in a moment. Can they not? And I remember being in a store, and, I mean, just for a split second, I turned to look at a label. And when I turned back around, Derek was not there. Right? So there's a picture that's going to pop up on the slide. Now, that's not him, but that's where he was. Now, I didn't know that, but if you are a parent, how many parents have had that feeling where you turn around your kid's not there, right? It floods your heart with a fear that we are not made to know. Am I right? You, you have this feeling My my child is gone. I mean, in an instant. It's all there. There's panic. You're afraid. And then you look, and then all of a sudden, you're not sure whether to hug them or berate them for making you so scared, right? What were you doing? Well, They're not doing anything wrong. They're just a kid. But that feeling in that moment is a terrible feeling. Let, let, Let me, every person... In this world, at some point, God allows them to be aware of the feeling that they are lost from Him. Now, why do I say that? What what if Derek had come out of that clothing rack, and instead of him being the one that was missing for the moment, what if I was the one that was missing for the moment? What, What if when Derek came out of that clothing rack and he looked around and he didn't see his father anymore, then all those feelings would have been in his heart? You tracking with me? There is a moment in time in every person's life where God awakens us by the power of His Holy Spirit to the realization that you are lost from your Father, that you are lost from your Creator. Every person is born into this world with a desire to know God and to be known by Him. And at some point, God allows us to feel that feeling, And it makes us afraid. It makes us frightened. It makes us feel lost. That's why Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost, to rescue people so they can be reunited with their Father in heaven. You are, I'm going to keep teaching this phrase, an eternal, immortal being created by God to live and rule and reign with him for all eternity. You are an immortal, eternal being created by God to live and rule and reign with him for all eternity. And at some point in your life, you become awakened to that desire, even if you can't articulate it through those words. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, you can remember that moment in time where all of a sudden those feelings begin to stir inside of you. That's why Jesus says that no one can call Jesus Lord unless he who sent me draws him, right? The Holy Spirit at work in our life is the first one to awaken us to this reality, and Jesus is the answer. That's why the vision for this church is for Jesus to be easy to find in our city. John 14, 6, Jesus said of himself, no one can come to the Father except by him. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. He's the only way. We want Jesus to be easy to find because people that are lost in our city and lost in our community, lost in our family, lost in our neighborhoods, people with the Holy Spirit has awakened in them this this feeling that they're lost from their Creator, lost from their God. We're, We're supposed to be part of God's plan to let people know, hey, Jesus can take away that feeling. There's nothing like waking up that next day after you've made a vow of devotion to Christ and you feel found. That feeling that I had when I found Derek, if I had been missing and that feeling Derek would have had when he found me, God wants that feeling to be inside of each of you. And can we just agree that that feeling that I had as a father, God feels that way for every person who's not yet been reconciled to him. Not fear, but he longs to be reunited with us. God's not just up in heaven thinking to himself, well, I hope they find me. No, no, no. With the same diligence and the perseverance and drive that I was looking for Derek, he's looking for you. He's looking for you. Will you be found? Will you help others find him? In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, this is a, his other declarative statement, he said to Peter, you are Peter, you are Peter. And upon this rock, we explained that a couple of weeks ago, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's his other declarative statement. He came to build a church. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to build a church. Why are those two, his two declarative statements? Because building the church is supposed to be the tip of the spear of how the lost are sought and found. The church is Jesus' plan for how the gospel is supposed to be proclaimed to the world. Is it the only way? No, but it is the tip of the spear. Why? Why? because Jesus said so. Listen to these verses out of Mark 16. Most people, when they read the Great Commission, they read out of Matthew, but we forget that Mark gives us a unique perspective to the Great Commission, right? We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, each of us, each of them give us their their own kind of unique perspective on Jesus's life and ministry. This is the Great Commission as Mark recounts it. Mark 16, I'm going to start reading in 14. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. Listen to what it says. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. They didn't believe it. Verse 15, and then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news. Come on, the gospel to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes and, and, and with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. When I read that, I, this week I asked myself the question, I hope you're going to ask yourself this question, what are the areas of stubbornness in my life that I need Jesus to rebuke out of me? What, what are the areas, and if you don't think you have any, that's your first one. What, what are the areas of stubbornness in my life that Jesus needs to rebuke out of me that's keeping me from going out into the world and making Jesus easier to find. It's interesting, Jesus found them where they were not supposed to be. He found them in a room when he wanted them to be out in the city. There's time for us to be in this room, but then there's time for us to be out in this city, in the 757. What are the areas of stubbornness that Jesus needs to rebuke out of me to get me to step away from the table and into the streets? Don't you love how there are no singular pronouns in this text? There's no singular pronouns. They're all plural. And the reason they're plural is because Jesus is saying to us, you're not supposed to do it by yourself. You're supposed to have a church that you call home. Why do we know that? Because it was one of his declarative statements. Who is the they that you're moving within this life to make Jesus easier to find in your city? Every devoted follower of Christ is supposed to have a they. I love the list here of miraculous signs. Can we just agree this was never intended to be an exhaustive list? These aren't the only signs. I think Jesus was trying to say here, there, there are going to be miraculous signs that, that, will, that will demonstrate power to the world, that will cause the world to say, if that's possible, then, then maybe what they're saying is true. This is not an exhaustive list. It gets added to as you continue throughout Scripture, Paul adds to this list in Ephesians 3, which is where we spent so much of our time two weeks ago when he was talking about the mystery of Christ. The the idea that people whose lives seem irreconcilable can become reconciled to one another. One of the miracles, one of the signs and wonders is that people who look differently, think differently, vote differently, live a little bit differently from one another by way of season of life and generation and age that the world comes in from the outside and sees all of these people that doesn't seem like they should be together, but we are. Can I just tell you that's a miraculous sign that's supposed to make us a credible witness so people will believe the gospel. You might say, well, the gospel is enough, Fred. That's not what Jesus said. The gospel is enough to save you. But Jesus says there are supposed to be signs that make your witness credible. The gospel is enough to reconcile me to God. But by God's design, he's saying, I want your testimony, your witness to the gospel to be a part of what causes people to believe it to be true. Somebody say a credible witness. In John 1, 50, and then in 5, 20, and then in 14, 12 through 14, Jesus makes an incredible statement. He says to you and me that we will do greater things, and in some verses it says we will do greater works than he himself did. How was that even possible? When, when we work through the list of the things that Jesus did, ha, anybody walk on any water yesterday? We have... Many more Amazon gift cards for you if you did. (laughs) Anybody turn water to wine? Anybody command the storm on the sea to stop? You tracking with me? When we read these stories, opening blind eyes, healing deaf ears, delivering people that are demon-possessed, when Jesus says to you and me, you will do greater things, what on earth was that about? Now, I'm going to leave it, people, to far smarter than me to try to answer that question because I think that in and of itself is a mystery. But I think part of it is this, and you've heard me talk about it before. What if Jesus wasn't talking just about physical miracles? Because I think he is talking about physical miracles, but I don't think he's talking about physical miracles alone. Is it possible that Jesus was performing miracles on the tangible in part to inspire faith from miracles on the intangible? Was he healing the body because he knew we were going to have a hand in healing hearts? What if it's not just physical blindness, but what if it is a blindness to the imago Dei and others that needs to be healed, that we cannot see? Are we blind to the imago Dei and other people? When, when we see people post things or say things or express things that make us angry, have we stopped to think it's possible that they view the world that way and they think that way because it is an outflow and an expression of the imago Dei, the image of God in them that is different from the image of God that's in us. We bear the image of God, but none of us bear all of His image. Jesus is the only one who's ever been born into this world that bears all of God's image. We only bear, we bear part of it. Can we just agree that's one of the reasons why God's plan for multicultural church is so amazing? Because people see more of who God is when we come together with the differences that we have. What if it's my deafness to the pain and suffering and the lament of others? Come on, somebody. Come on, that's good. Come on, that's good. Are, Are we deaf to the lament of other people? Are we offended by the lament of other people before the lament of other people breaks our heart? We don't have to agree with it. We don't have to understand it. But at some point, Jesus wants to unstop the deafness of our soul so that we can weep with other people who are lamenting. What if it's my atrophied will that won't move toward my brother and sister in Christ who is in need? We, we see Jesus healing people's physical bodies, people who are lame from birth. Is it possible that that's not the only way we can be lame? Can we be lame because our soul is so atrophied, our will is so atrophied, that we see our brother and sister in Christ is in need, but we, it is as though we're on a mat and we can't get up to get over there. I think Jesus wants to heal that inside of us. What if it's my loving, calming presence that's supposed to calm the storms of life that are causing others to despair? If when you see a life group promo at a church, maybe like City Life Church, and you think to yourself, I'm not sure I'm going to go because I'm not sure that topic interests me. Or maybe you say, I'm not sure I'm going to go because I'm not sure that there's anything I've had. Or I've already read that book. Can we just agree for a moment that life groups isn't always just about what we get out of it, it's what we bring to it. And there is a, there's a presence that you bring, the story that you have, moments where God has calmed the storms of your life. You get to sit at a table with other people. And it might be that someone else is just entering a storm, and maybe it's a storm that you've been through. And you get to be the one in their boat that says, peace be still. Or or is the supernatural, miraculous outpouring of the power of God that we're looking for too narrow? Are we just looking for it to manifest in the physical and the tangible? Or are we also looking for it to be manifest in the immaterial? What if it's the miracle of reconciling relationships that feel irreconcilable? Secular society is supposed to look into the church and say, how on earth is that possible? And I believe one of the ways that that's supposed to happen, one of the things that's supposed to create that sentiment, is where they look inside of churches and see peoples, people whose lives seem irreconcilable, but they are aligned together for the mission of Christ. I'm going to give it to you again. I believe churches in America are in decline, even while the diversity of congregations are on the rise, because people who are coming to churches in search of a gospel message that promises reconciliation are finding churches preaching a cross that reconciles us to God, but is simultaneously failing miserably at being reconciled to one another. Simply put, we lack a credible, we want to have a credible witness here at the City Life Church, and I hope you do too. Somebody say Luke 15. Luke 15 is where we find the famous lost parables. Who can tell me what all three lost parables? It's the lost blank, blank, and blank. Anybody? Sabra, hand up. Come on. Jeopardy's got the hand up. Yep. Yes. Come on, hey, hey, the coin, the sheep and the son. I love that she raised her hand before she, if she knew she knew the answer. I like it. I like it. There's winners and losers here at City Life Church. Come on. Winners and losers. Quick on the button. Let me share this thought with you. The shepherd and the woman and the father. See? We know them as the sheep and the coin and the son. But they're not the only people in the parable. There's a shepherd, there's a woman, and there is a father. The shepherd and the woman and the father are given to us by Jesus in these parables to show us how the character of Christ in us determines whether or not people want to be found by us. The shepherd and the woman and the father are given to us by Jesus in these parables to show us how the character of Christ in us determines whether or not people want to be found by us. They want to be found by a credible witness. The gospel is true. We add nothing to it. But our witness, listen to me, if we are not a credible witness, then we are not a trustworthy messenger for this gospel that can save. The sheep will only go back to the shepherd who is kind and merciful and gentle and faithful. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 reads this way, then Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my The burden I give you is light. Is is that part of Jesus in me as I'm out in the world? Are they finding a gentle, humble shepherd? How about the coin and the woman? The coin only wants to belong to a woman who is fervent, hopeful, and persevering and believing. I love the story of the lost coin. The woman turns her house inside and out to find that coin. Is that the kind of friend that you are? Are you the kind of person that's persevering and determined and relentless, not, not obnoxious, persevering? They're cousins. You don't want to be this one. You want to be that one. Persevering. How about Philippians 1.6? says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ. He never stops working for us. Do the people of the world see that in us? The Son only wants to return to the Father who is patient and forgiving and honorable and wise. Romans 2.4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient that God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin is that what the world's finding in us? Is there a time for righteous indignation? Yes. Is, is sometime the office of the prophet is to declare things that are hard to hear? Yes. It's not a false choice. Both can be true. Jesus presents himself as the shepherd, but there were the moments where he was also turning the tables over in the temple. Right. There's a time and a place for both. But if I'm only this... If I'm only ever Jesus that's turning the tables over in the temple, and I'm never all the other parts of who he is, then I'm not all of the Jesus in the world that I'm called to be. Remember the journey of becoming like Christ personally, ultimately determines the community we have together. Let me say that again. Remember the journey of becoming like Christ personally, ultimately determines the community we have together. Every church is the sum of its parts. Are we more like Christ because of each other? Because who we are affects whether or not people who are lost want to be found here. Want to be found here. That's why we're not quite through. I'm going to keep talking about it. We're in in a 24-month plan together. It started at the beginning of last year with launching this new vision and mission and and message and giving you the new values. And we spent all of last, most of this year, talking about the story. Right? If Jesus is going to be easy to find in our city, then we've got to tell the story of the gospel. We've got to live the way of Jesus. We've got to tell people about the gospel. But what makes us a credible witness is that we're living the way of Jesus as we're telling the story of the gospel. And so we spent most of this year just familiarizing ourselves, digging deep into this idea of the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves. And starting next year, we're going to spend, each quarter is going to be devoted to one part of our discipleship model, which is talking about the way of Jesus' beliefs, the way of his character, his obedience, and his peace. One quarter for each of those. What it means to practically live the way of Jesus 24 months. We're going to get to the end of 2023. And you should be able to say, I know the gospel that I'm supposed to tell. And I know the way that I'm supposed to live. I want Jesus to be easy to find in my city. And I want him to be easier to find here because of me, not in spite of me. We have a blueprint, people. We have a blueprint. We had our campus directors team meeting recently, and we were working through all those photos and pictures of all the lines, and that's where that one that we're now picking kind of came out of that. It was after that very first week where I was introducing some of it to you. and, and, and Jennifer Muro said, how, how, how are we going to do, do this? How, how are we going to become this multicultural church? And we were having this conversation together as a group of leaders. And I've been praying into that this week. And again, on fr- Friday morning, just yesterday morning, I was in here and I was praying about that. You know, God, we, we, we need a blueprint. And I felt so distinctly that the Holy Spirit said, you already have a blueprint, Fred. It's, it's You just have to see it put together. And I just began to listen and reflect, and 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 this is the picture that 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 he gave me right here, in my head I could see it as clear as day. Values, commitments, and behaviors. When you have the right values, it brings you to the right commitments, and when you have the right commitments, it leads you to the right behaviors. We we they, we have four core values as a church: ministry, community, generosity. But the fourth one is diversity, and under diversity we have. Three sub-values, right? There's those four define our core values. We value, we have lots of values as a church, but those four are there, they're our foundation. But you can't value diversity if you don't also value celebration, consideration, and collaboration. I've been teaching on that for a few years now. Th- those are the sub-values that make diversity possible. If if we're gonna be a multicultural church, this is where it starts. You have to value these three things. You have to value celebration. You've got to be willing to celebrate, not tolerate, celebrate people who are different than you are. People who vote differently than you do. People who think differently than you do. People who live maybe a little bit differently than you do. Within the confines of morality and Scripture, most certainly. But there's a lot of room for disagreement there. There's a lot of room for disagreement because the Bible is perfect, but our interpretation of it is not. We need each other. We need to learn through one another's eyes. Are you willing to celebrate, not tolerate, celebrate people who see the world differently than you do? That's a multicultural church. I remember when Vanessa and I, she's not in here so I can talk about her. No, I'm just kidding. When, when, when we first got we talk about this all the time when we were doing counseling with couples. When we first got married, sometimes she would say, I, I know you love me, but do you like me? She said, I know, I know you love me, but I need to know that you like me. Any other married couples had that conversation like that before? Yeah, come on. I know you love me, but I, I, I need to know that you like me. Can, can we just agree that in a community of covenant relationship, we, we know we love each other, but do we like each other? Do, do we like each other? Because relationships that are reconciled aren't just loving each other through toleration. They're, they're loving each other to a place of liking one another, even though they still disagree vehemently with one another because they celebrate one another. Collaboration means that you're willing to come alongside people and work together together. You you don't need to be perfectly aligned with that person to work with that person. You've got to be willing to collaborate. You've got to to be willing to show up at the aqueducts from 4 to 5 at Power Hour, the Boys and Girls Club, and it's okay if the other person that shows up just posted something on Facebook that irritates you. Are you going to get back in your car and drive away? Are you going to celebrate that person's Imago day? Are you going to collaborate with them? And the third one is are are you willing to consider? Because this is consideration. Consideration means that maybe you're the one who's wrong. Stop it. Consideration is just living your life with an acceptance of our own fallibility. All of us have false thinking, all of us have myths that we bought into. All of us have grown up thinking certain things that we're convinced we're right, but we're not. And one of the ways that those things get challenged is by living in a diverse environment. For other, if, if you're living your life in an echo chamber, that's a dangerous place to be. Consider, celebration, collaborate. You, what we're saying as a church, if city life is going to be your home, you, you've got to value those three things. Because that's what diversity feels like. And if you're willing to value those things then these seven commitments, they're going to excite you. These seven commitments, these are the commitments that we're making together as a church. That's why we've been in it. Now, I didn't get to the last four, but I think there's a self-evidencing quality to some of them. And if not, you can buy this book. If you can't afford this book, you reach out to me. I'll buy it for you embrace dependence, take initial steps, empower diverse leadership, develop cross-cultural relationships, pursue cross-cultural competence, promote a spirit of inclusion, mobilize for impact. As a church leadership team, we're going to start asking ourselves these questions on a regular basis. How are we doing? When we get together, every so often, we're going to pull this list out and say, how are we doing with these seven things? We've made these commitments. Are we doing these commitments? How is our church moving in this direction? And, and, and if you make these seven commitments like we're making together, they're going to lead to these nine behaviors. Look at these nine behaviors. You've seen these before. I showed them to you earlier this summer. They come from a friend of mine, Paul McConaughey. Learn, move, give thanks, listen, partner, befriend, amplify, train, and pray. This is These are the behaviors of a person who values diversity through celebration, consideration, and collaboration. The, these are the behaviors of someone who's... Living out in a practical way day-to-day these seven commitments. Are you willing to learn from people you disagree with? You can't just learn from people who sound like you. Are you willing to move towards people? Right? Can we just agree what we've experienced over the last two years that when we come into contact with someone we disagree with, our tendency is to pull away from them? Right? Am I right? Am I the only one on Facebook? Right? We, it's called unfriending. You you with me? We tend to move away from people we disagree with, but the gospel says, no, 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 move towards people. Step into a circle of curiosity before you step into a circle of concern. Are you willing to move towards people? Are you willing to say, I, I wonder why they think that way. Maybe there's something I can learn from them. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Learn, move, give thanks Right? This, is, this is it right here. Are you willing to be thankful in your heart? Are you only thankful for the people that agree with you? Or are you also thankful for the people that disagree with you? We've got to be thankful for both. Because oftentimes it's the people that disagree with us that are going to help us see the blind spots that we have. Are you willing to listen to other people? Are you willing to partner with them? Are you willing to befriend them? Amplify. Are you willing to give voice to someone else that maybe you don't agree with them, but you know that they need to be heard? When's the last time you shared a post in social media that you disagreed with, but you chose to amplify it because you thought to yourself, maybe there's something here that we need to think about? Or are we only amplifying people who echo us? Are we willing to help train other people in this kind of life, in this kind of living, and are we willing to pray for people who are dramatically different than us? Nine behaviors. Nine behaviors. When you value the right things, you're going to make the right commitments, and when you make the right commitments, come on, these kind of behaviors begin to flow out of who we are. It's a blueprint. It's our blueprint. That's where we're headed together as a church, and I hope you choose to build with us. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to put the, uh, the dynamic slide back up. This is John 17, 20 to 24. This is Jesus praying. This is him praying. He's at the end of his life. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to die for the sins of the world. And he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, talking about his contemporaries. Listen to what he says. But also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. He's praying for us in this moment. I pray that they, that's us, will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. What's he talking about here? The gospel is about ready to be unleashed, but he's saying the gospel is looking for a credible witness. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity. What does it say? Listen to the why that they would experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, credible witness, and that you love them as much as you love me. The Father's heart aches for the one who was lost, that they might be found. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Why? Because you and I are an eternal, immortal being created by God, to live and rule and reign with him forever. Then they can see all the glory that you gave me, because you loved me even before the world began. Stand with me. Father, we know we don't need to pray for the gospel, because the gospel is perfect. The gospel is complete. Jesus, when you were on the cross and dying, one of the One of your last seven sayings was, It is finished. It is finished. You were saying the gospel's done. It doesn't need any help. Nothing's ever going to be taken from it, nothing needs to be added to it. So, Jesus, we echo your prayer in this moment help us to be one, help us to walk in unity, help us to discover harmony not through sameness, not through assimilation, but by willing to align around a common vision and mission and message and values in spite of our many other differences. Help us to be reconciled, even when it feels like we're irreconcilable. Help us to be a credible witness For the gospel that you paid, such a great price for us to know. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.